The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And welcome, Disability Law Show. Once again, Savannah Tamarkin is answering all the questions, emails, by the way, anytime for you. Really, really simple. Help at disabilityrights.ca. Couldn't be simpler. That in the phone number, 1-855-821-5900. And throughout the show, we always uh, go to our uh, number one resource. That would be mydisabilityquestions.com. That is for you. It is free. It is anonymous. And as the title says, it is a place for you to ask disability questions of, of all natures. So bring it on. Type them in there. Search as well. It's got a searchable database, which means a question similar to yours may have been asked in the past. If so, read the answer. If it's not complete, doesn't answer all your questions, type your answer and leave it there, and it will get answered really quickly. MyDisabilityQuestions.com. But let's get into this, pal. I've got a ton of emails and stuff to get through uh, today on the show. What do you got? To, what do you got off the start? Johnny, it's been a it's been a very busy week. Uh, it's been a, a good week in terms of being able to get information out to people about their long-term disability claims. Uh, and again, just for any new listeners, uh, we are lawyers, disability lawyers, employment lawyers, and we help people across Ontario, Alberta, and British Columbia. Let me start off by telling you uh, I had an interesting conversation uh, late this past week with a gentleman who called me. So he left me a message and he said, "My name is so and so. We spoke early last year." And uh, I called him back. I, I didn't really remember who that person was, didn't give me any details. So when I called him back, he said, look, he said, last year, uh, I, I, I called you, I, sp- I spoke with you, and you put me in touch with one of the lawyers in, in your firm. And, and I thought that she was excellent, but but I decided to go with another firm, another lawyer, to which I have no issue with, of course. Uh, he didn't tell me who that lawyer is, and I didn't ask, but... What the reason why he called me is because he's in the middle of the the legal claim process with the other lawyer, the other law firm. Eventually, by the way, he told me who that lawyer in the law firm is, and I know them actually very well. They're a competitor of ours. They do the kind of work that we do. But the reason he called me, John, you're not going to believe this, is because he's scheduled to proceed to a mediation. And for anyone here who hasn't heard the show before, when we start legal claims, the aim is to resolve the claim, whether it's to resolve it within a few weeks of starting the claim or a few months, basically as soon as possible. And one of the steps in the legal claims process is going to a mediation. In some jurisdictions in the country, it's mandatory to go to these mediations. These mediations are basically without prejudice settlement conferences. There's no judge. There's usually a third-party mediator, somebody who's either a lawyer or or not, somebody that has experience, who's a neutral third party, chosen by both parties to try and get the parties to resolve their differences, to avoid uh, a court case, basically a trial. And by the way, most of these cases never, ever go to court. They never, ever go to trial because, again, the parties generally prefer to resolve this amongst themselves. There's certainty in that, which is great. Now, in this case, the reason he's calling me, and he was in significant distress. I mean, I could hear him. He was stuttering. This is an, this is an older gentleman. is because what he was describing to me was, was simply appalling in terms of the behavior of the lawyer and the law firm that he was dealing with. They're about to go to a mediation. Now, when you go to a mediation, typically you prepare what's called a brief. And the lawyer does that, not the client. The lawyer prepares a brief. And in the brief, we outline, you know, here are the factual circumstances of the claim. Here are the facts. Here are legal positions. Uh, here's what we hope to achieve, etc., etc. No two briefs are the same. 
this is where you know the lawyer's skills as an advocate really come into play. This is the kind of stuff you see on TV. You know, when a lawyer is just excellent, excellent at what he or she does when they outline your case and really try and advocate for you for the best resolution. And they do, we do this because we need the mediator to be aware of all the facts and the issues so that the mediator can be effective in resolving the case or trying to help resolve the case. So t typically what I do when I prepare a brief like this, I know the case inside out. My lawyers know their cases inside out. Uh, and so, but what I do is before I submit my brief, I send the brief to my client, and this is my practice, my personal practice, to get the client's view on, first of all, number one, whether or not the facts as I've outlined them are 100% are correct, okay, number one. Number two, whether or not we're on the same page. I want to make sure my client fully understands what's, what's happening, what's going to happen at the mediation, what to expect, and, and I need him or her to understand sort of how we're going about trying to resolve their case. At the same time, I also typically show them the other side's brief because guess what? You know, we're going to say things that the defendant doesn't like, uh, the insurance company, and the insurance company is going to say things that my client's not going to like. That's fine. That's normal. The key is that everyone is aware of each other's positions and how people see the facts. So the reason why he's calling me is because the lawyer that's representing him is refusing to show him his brief. You understand, John? This individual who's about to go to a mediation with this lawyer for his case, for this individual's case, is having difficulty getting his hands on the brief that his own lawyer has drafted. And when he asks his lawyer, why are you not showing this to me? The lawyer is saying, because you're going to tell us to make too many changes. Can you just imagine that? I mean, how ludicrous that position is. Forget about the fact that it's unethical, in my mind, immoral. Who is this lawyer that he thinks that he knows better than the client what the facts are of the case? So again, the individual, of course, is very distressed. Now, add to that that there is a lack of communication, that the lawyer is not really communicative. And you know, I have a, I have a, I have a specific issue with that. I'm, I'm very communicative. Uh, all the lawyers in our firm know that communication is number one. Now, I'm not expecting everyone to be like me, right? If you email me at 5 in the morning, you'll get an email back probably at 5.01. I'm not saying people should be like that. That's a little extreme. That's just me. But I don't agree that a lawyer can simply ignore a client's emails and phone calls for hours and days and weeks on end. That's just not right. So here's what I told this person. First of all, I have to be very careful because he's represented, right? And I don't want to step right. on anybody's toes. Sure. But I explained to him the process. I explained to him sort of what to expect, just generally, stuff that his own lawyer ought to have explained to him. I told him, I'm not going to delve into the facts or the issues in your case because you have a lawyer. But here's what I told him, because I knew he was in distress. I said, you have to understand something. And now I'm talking, John, not just you know, in terms of this individual that I spoke with, but just to everyone out there who's dealing with their legal case right now or knows someone who's dealing with it. This is your case. It's not the lawyer's case. No different than if you are suffering from an illness or an injury. It's your illness or injury. It's not the doctor's illness or injury. You have to take control of your own case. That means that the lawyer is accountable to you. Lawyers are not gods, despite what some of them may think. They're not above you. They have no right to be condescending to you. They have no right to be aggressive towards you. They have no right to ignore you or to not explain to you the process. You are the client. You always, always, always have the last say when it comes to your period. Now, sometimes it happens that the lawyer and the client don't see eye to eye. It happened to me too. I mean, I've been practicing for a long time. Not every client will listen to me. Fine, I understand that. And sometimes I'll take the instructions of the client, meaning I'll follow whatever the client's saying, unless it's unethical, unless the client's asking me to lie, 
unless for whatever reason I think that what the client is asking me to do is so bad that I simply can't continue. So I explain to the client I have to disengage. That's rare. But when I see behavior like this, when I see how this individual who's hired this lawyer to protect him, to advance his legal interests, when this person feels like his own lawyer is on the other side, or, or, or even worse, is apathetic, you know, apathetic to, to, to you know, his situation, breaks my heart. I can't do anything. He chose to go with a different firm. He chose to go with a different lawyer. I can tell you, John, that if ever, if ever a client that is a client of our firm, mine and Lior's firm, comes to us and says, one of your lawyers or paralegals is treating us like this, there would be one warning to this lawyer and paralegal, assuming this is correct. Beyond that, if that happens again, that lawyer or paralegal is out. So again, you have to understand that when you're hiring a lawyer, you're hiring somebody to protect your interests, to advance your interests. That person has to listen to you, that person has to work with you, and that person has to take instructions from you. Now, I want to talk about the mediation process just slightly, uh, John, this is important here. When I go to a mediation with a client, again, the goal is to resolve the claim, not at any cost. It's like selling a house, right? I mean, a real estate agent can come to you, John, and say your house is worth $500,000, but guess what? I can sell it for three hundred tomorrow. Well, what's the use of that lawyer then? The whole point is that he gets you the 500 plus, right? That's the whole point. Now, we go to a mediation, anything can happen. No two mediation, two mediations are the same. In, in every case, by the way, whether it's disability mm -hmm. law, employment law, family law, no two mediations are the same. There are always different facts and different people. But when I explain to the individual as we go through the mediation the pros and cons of any settlement offers, I, I specifically focus on uh, the, the um, uh, alternatives. In other words, I tell the individual, here are the pros of settling now for the amounts that we've been able to negotiate, here are the cons. And that's okay. That's the minimum that the lawyer should do for you. The absolute minimum. Just like it's the absolute minimum that a doctor should tell you, here are the remedies for your illness. Here are the treatments. But what a good lawyer, or I would say an exceptional lawyer, or an exceptional doctor would do, is they would go beyond that. So I tell my clients, I tell them, here's my legal advice to you, and here's my practical advice to you. Because sometimes the legal advice is not the same as the practical advice. I can tell you to hold out for a better offer to settle your case that's going to take a year or two from now, but what good is that going to be if you're going to lose your house tomorrow? So, you know, when you hire a lawyer or law firm again, you need to be very careful. You've got to make sure that you get the right person in your corner. Because that's going to, that first of all can mean the difference between you going insane, right, going crazy and being afraid the entire claims process because your lawyer is not there for you, it could also mean the difference between getting a good settlement or, or a bad settlement or a good result in court or a bad result. And you want to make sure you have the right legal team. And again, this is something we really focus hard on, quality over quantity when it comes to when we deal with long-term disability claims at the firm. The number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. That is the uh, that is the way to go. We got about a minute to uh, just uh, wrap it up here till we take a short break. So, in fact, maybe we will because we got so much more to get through. So let's uh, let's do exactly that. You want to send an email along? It is uh, it's simple. Help at disabilityrights.ca. Now, if you go to the website disabilityrights.ca, that'll get you to the firm website. There's a section across the top. You can click on it, drop down menu, go to media, and you can catch some of our past television shows as well. We talk about this stuff for 30 minutes on TV. 
and have for several years, so you can do that as well. Again, disabilityrights.ca. This is the Disability Law Show continues. Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back, Disability Law Show. Good to have you along. Savannah Markin, of course, is your host, giving you all the information, reaching out anytime. You can have a chat with Savannah, a member of his awesome team, anytime. By the way, cost you a thing, just pick up the phone, 1 855 821 5900. It may be for the benefit of uh, yourself, family member, colleague that's kind of in the in a bit of a gray area when it comes to disability law, dealing with a uh, an insurer or been asked to appeal. There's a million different things that can confuse you, so get uh, get cleared up for sure. Beyond listening to the show each week, of course, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred and help at disabilityrights.ca. Okay, my brother, where are we going now? All right, let's go through uh, uh, some questions that people emailed me directly and uh, some questions that were posted on mydisabilityquestions.com. And, uh, you know, for the benefit of the listeners, let's go through the answers as well. So here's one that comes from a gentleman uh, who writes, Hello, Sivan, I spoke to you earlier in the year regarding a dispute uh, with my long-term disability insurance company. Um, With my recent medical documents, my LTD was reactivated. I'm not sure what that means, but in any event, he's back on LTD now. The question is this, can the insurance company do an audit of my bank account and financial situation? So again, we don't have any more information here. Uh, this person hasn't given me anything else. He's just asking, can the insurance company do an audit of his bank account and financial situation? Here's the thing. Your insurance company, if you're on disability, cannot cannot get access to your bank accounts. But when the insurance company is asking you about your financial situation, again, what, what are they asking you? Are they asking you, do you have a house? Because that's irrelevant to whether or not you're disabled. That do they are they asking you, uh, you know, do your kids go to private school? Do you have a Porsche? Like, I mean, you know, they can't ask that kind of stuff. However, however, every long-term disability policy that I have looked at in all the years I've been doing this contains provisions that give the insurance company credit or allows them to get an offset if you earn money or income, other income. Sometimes it's a pension. Sometimes it's through side work. Sometimes it's severance if you're let go from your job. So the point is the insurance company is always interested, always interested in minimizing and lessening what they have to pay you. And one of the ways they do that is obviously not paying you altogether, denying your claim. This is where we come in, obviously, and we help you. Uh, But another way is to have you tell them if you're getting income through some other source. And to that information, they are entitled. You have to give them the truth. Now, here's what happens if you don't tell them the truth. Not only are you potentially in breach of your policy, in fact, you are in breach of your policy if you lie to them, but you may end up getting hit with a demand to, uh, to, to repay them whatever they paid you while you were getting money that they were entitled to a credit for. So this is really important to understand here that they're not entitled to go into your bank account and ask you, you know, a lot of invasive questions about your financial situation, but they are entitled to know if you have any other income coming in because most likely your LTD policy contains provision uh, provisions that give them uh, credits for those amounts. Now, if ever the insurance company is asking you for anything, any kind of information that you feel uncomfortable with, you know, instead of emailing me, you can email me, but, but you know, of course you can, and I'll tell you what, what the answer is, but you can also get a copy from your insurer 
of the policy and ask the adjuster to show you where in the policy it gives them the right to get the information that they're asking from you. So that's, again, very, very important. Always, always, if you are asked to do something or for certain information from your adjuster, you can ask the adjuster to show you where in your LTD policy it gives them the right, uh, the, the right to ask that information. The number, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Yeah, everything's everything's bound by that policy, right? If it, if they're telling you to do something, you just simply say, point to me where I have to do that, correct? Yes, that's exactly right. It's exactly right. It's a contractual relationship between you and the insurance company. Your rights and obligations, just like the insurance company's rights and obligations, are rooted in that contract. And incidentally, let me say this as well. Sometimes people come to me and say, look, the insurance company is, you know, I've done what you said, Sivan. I've asked them to show me where in the policy it says X and Y, and the adjuster points to that provision, but I can't, I'm not reading that provision the same way the adjuster is. It seems to me like they're reading something into that provision. And that's very astute, because here's the thing, an insurance company can't read anything into their policy with you that's not actually spelled out. It has to be explicit in the policy. If they're telling you they're not paying you for something, or if they're telling you they're going to get a credit for something, that has to be explicitly stated in the policy because if it's not, well, guess what? You have an argument that the insurance company is not entitled to it. Again, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred to reach out to Savannah anytime. You can go to help at disabilityrights.ca as well. Okay, where, uh, where are we going, bro? So here's a question that was posted uh, from a gentleman in Ottawa um, onto mydisabilityquestions.com. Now, this pertains to WSIB, which we don't deal with. Uh, if you have a question about WSIB, I can put you in touch with a uh, licensed paralegal that deals with those kinds of issues. But the reason I'm going to mention this is because it, it, it raises interesting issues. So here's the question. This comes from Mark in Ottawa. He writes, I'm presently off on WSIB. Uh, they've approved my claim and I've now off been sorry I've been off now for eight months getting treatments for my injury. I recently found out that my company, my employer, has terminated my employment and cut off my health benefits. Uh, I'm not able to get my medications as a result because I can't pay for them. Can can they do this? And the reason I'm mentioning this is because this is applicable to long-term disability as well. Look, we have legislation across the country human rights legislation that states that you cannot fire a person who is disabled on disability. And if a person is deemed to be disabled or is disabled and the employer does that, the employer then opens themselves up to human rights damages, to a human rights claim, in addition to potential, potential claim for wrongful dismissal. And so, you know, in, in a context that I typically see, a person is a long-term disability uh, they're told by their insurance company, we're going to let you go, we have to replace you, etc. Well, guess what? The insurance company is on the hook not only for um, severance, termination pay, whatever is applicable in that particular case, but also potentially human rights damages. And the reason why that's important is because if you don't understand that or if your lawyer, your employment lawyer doesn't understand how to structure a potential settlement with the employer, your insurance company that's paying you short-term or long-term disability payments may potentially get full credit for the severance that you get from your employer. So you're no better off. And again, when our employment lawyers at my firm deal with these kinds of claims, they often speak with the disability lawyer so that we maximize the amount of money that lands in our clients' pockets. We're not doing anything illegal here. It's just that we have the know-how and the knowledge of, the, of both practice areas, employment law and long-term disability law. And that's absolutely key because if you don't have that dual knowledge, if you think you do but you don't, you're going to end up 
getting money from one side only to have that eaten up by the other side, by the insurance company. So again, if you're in that situation, reach out to me. I'll put you in touch with the right people at my firm. Please, please, please don't do this by yourself. Uh, and please, please, please don't go to a lawyer or lawyers that don't have expertise in both areas of law because you will lose out. That'd be a pretty, uh, that'd be pretty depressing. You know, you end up getting, you know, $30,000 worth of severance from your employer and also, nope, picked out of your pocket because you didn't know any better. That would really be disastrous. Oh my God. And I've seen this happen, John. Listen, not a week goes by when one of our employment lawyers doesn't reach out to me or a member on my team. Again, we're all work together. We're on the same team, but they reach out to us in different stages of, of their legal claims with the, with the employment situation. And they say, Sivan, what do you think about this? What do you think about this release that my client is being asked to sign by the employer? Will that affect their entitlement to long-term disability? You know, and vice versa, by the way, a long-term disability insurance company you know, they're astute. They understand that they can get a potential credit or offset for the disability that they're paying, disability payments are paying, if the individual has an employment case against their employer for severance. So again, you need to understand that it's in your hands. You end up deciding, depending on the lawyer you choose, the law firm you choose, that could mean the difference of, of tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars that lands in your pocket or the insurance company's pockets. Don't make, don't make a mistake. It's going to be very, very costly. Again, mydisabilityquestions.com is a great resource for you to ask your questions anytime, completely uh, free and anonymous with a searchable database as well. Okay, we still got a few minutes before we break. Uh, where are we going now? Again, a question that we get, I think, on a weekly basis here. It's about CPP disability. Uh-huh. So this individual here, Kim, writes to me. She says, I'm seeking advice as to whether it's standard procedure for an insurance company to request that I apply for CPP disability. I'm a 47-year-old woman, have been on disability for nearly a year for a mental health disability, and have been told that this is standard procedure. I'm unsure if I would be penalized down the road in my retirement years if I comply with this request. Additionally, if I do not comply, I wonder if the insurance company can close my claim. Again, let's go through the basics here. CPP disability. If you are on long-term disability, it is standard for insurance companies to ask you to tell you to apply for CPP disability. The reason they do this is because if you get approved for CPP disability and start getting money from the government, the insurance company is going to get a credit for that. You're not going to get your full LTD payments plus CPP disability. The insurance company gets a credit for whatever amount CPP ends up paying you. Now, my understanding from Terry Corcoran, who's our resident insurance expert here, uh, and he's been in the industry for over three decades before retired. He's really, really knowledgeable. In fact, John, I think he's overdue to be on the show. I'm going to ask him. I'm sure he's listening now, but I'm going to ask him uh, to be on the show in the next few weeks. Uh, My understanding is that if you access CPP disability, that will not prejudice you in the future. Okay. In other words, it's not going to make your CPP payments down the road less. Now, there are advantages for getting CPP disability now. The advantages include that if you get it, it means that the government deems you disabled, which means that the insurance company that's paying you now is going to have a tougher time at some point later saying that you're not disabled, right? Because the government has deemed you disabled. That's number one. Number two, if your insurance company, for whatever reason, cuts you off, well, guess what? You have CPP disability as a separate financial lifeline coming in. So while we're fighting your insurance company, you're still getting money from CPP disability. Now this lady here is asking, if I do not comply, if I do not apply for CPP disability, will the insurance company close my claim? They could, I've seen that happen. I don't think that they're they're allowed to. We fought them on, the, on this issue and we've resolved these claims successfully. 
What's more likely to happen is that if you don't comply, they will simply estimate or guesstimate how much they think you should be getting from CPP disability, and then unilaterally reduce your payments accordingly on a monthly basis. So you might as well apply. So this is really important to understand. The insurance company is serious when they're asking you to do this, okay? And if you don't comply, you will likely see your benefits go down. I don't see a downside uh, to applying for CPP disability. I think it's a, it's a good thing. In fact, I have seen recently, this past week, somebody contacted me, John, and sent me a letter from their insurance company. <laughs> you know what the letter said? It was actually interesting. It said, if you would like, we, the insurance company, will hire a third party like another individual here who has expertise with these kinds of CPP disability claims to help you fill out the claims. You see wow, what I'm saying? The insurance company is so uh, interested in you getting CPP disability that they'll even help you. They'll hire someone to help you apply. To which to me, it's, listen, great. If the insurance company is going to do that for you, fantastic. Why not? Yeah. Why not take them up on that? I would. I would. I would also use that down the road if the insurance company takes the position that I'm not disabled. I would point back and say, well, wait a second. You are going to hire someone to right. argue to the government that I'm disabled. So, you know, it's really important to understand. CPP disability will not harm you, okay? It, will, it actually has benefits here. And yes, it is standard practice for insurance companies to ask you to apply for it. You know, and I know we got to take a short break, but there's also the, as as you mentioned, uh, arguably a tougher test. And if you end up, you know, off your disability mm -hmm. from your private insurer, you still got income, and then you can try and say, "Hey, hang on, the government loves giving people money, and they've said yeah. I'm disabled yeah. beyond, uh, you know, beyond the pale. So why aren't you continuing my benefits as well?" So to your point, I don't think there really is a downside to it at all. No, no, th there is no downside. But I understand why people are upset, right? And and many yep. people are upset. Uh, on principle, you know, people say to me, but, yeah. but, you know, I paid into this plan. My employer paid into this plan. Why is the insurance company asking me to apply to the government? I don't, I don't want to get money from the government. You insurance company have to pay. Well, right. because years ago, as, as Terry, I mean, you know what, John, I'm going to have him on the next show so he can actually go through this and explain the history here. Long time ago, insurance companies and the government of Canada basically made a deal and he'll explain what that deal is, I'll ask him to, uh, as to why it is that uh, it's okay for people to apply for CPP disability when they have long-term disability, that there is this offset with insurance companies. Uh, and so at the end of the day, look, whether you like it or not, if you do not apply for CPP disability when the, when the insurance company tells you to or asks you to, they will likely unilaterally reduce your monthly payments by the amount that they think you should be getting. So you may as well apply for CPP disability. Moving on, it's one uh, 821 5900 to reach out toll-free to Savan and his crew, help at disabilityrights.ca and disabilityrights.ca if you want to catch our television show. You'll find links to it there. We'll continue more of the Disability Law Show on Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back. Disability Law Show. Good to have you along. Anytime you want a great resource to ask your questions, you can call 1-855-821-5900 or we rely quite heavily on mydisabilityquestions.com. That website is free, anonymous. You can ask your disability law questions. And I have a, a, a suspicion. Spidey sense that's exactly where you're going to go right now, isn't it, Savannah? 
It is, John. Isn't it funny that every week I send you an outline? Here's what I want to talk about. Uh, here are the issues. Let's chat about this and that. And when we get sidetracked, I get sidetracked because you know the emails, phone calls, uh, questions posted on the MyDisabilityQuestions.com. Those to me are so much more interesting than what I want to talk about, right? Because these yeah. these are questions that people actually are emailing me. Uh, and I bet you for every one of these questions, there are a ton of people out there who have the exact same question or something very similar. So let me let me go into another one here. This one yep. comes from Norman. Uh, and Norman writes as follows, and this is posted to MyDisabilityQuestions.com. He says, my brother married a woman from France. He's on LTD with, and he gives the name of the insurance company. His wife wants to live half of the year in France and half here. He's planning on going with her and spending six or more months outside of Canada. My question is this, what punitive measures does the LTD insurer, uh, can they take, should they find this out? Can they demand whatever money they paid him to be repaid back? Or worse thing, can they simply cancel his claim? I'd like to tell him before he makes a big mistake. What options does the insurance company have? Thank you. First of all, big shout out to Norman for you know looking out for his brother. And this is something really key here. There are a lot of listeners right now, John, who, you know, they don't need this information themselves. They're, they're you know, working in their shed or at, or it's at work or they're just at home or they're driving, they're listening to us. This None of this is applicable to them listening because they love my voice and they love yours, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but think about this. You may know someone who needs this information. Please be like Norman and actually look out for your family members, your friends, your colleagues. If they have a question about their long-term disability case or claim or, or their employment issues, please tell them to reach out, okay? We will talk to them for free and, and we'd be more than happy to do so. So let me go now to Norm's question. So here's the thing. Uh, again, almost every LTD policy that I have looked at, okay, in the past 15 years or so, contains a provision that limits you geographically to where you reside or where you live. It's, it's basically a geographical uh, uh, restriction. Uh, you can simply move to France or to China or to Russia or wherever it is you want to go to or to Mars and then expect your LTD payments to continue uh, nonstop. So the first point here that I would tell Mark and I wrote to him is get a, get a copy of the LTD policy. Take a look to see if there is, in fact, a, a geographical restriction provision. If there is one, you have to be very careful because then the insurance company, if they find out, I mean, you should be truthful with them, but let's assume you're not. If they find out, yeah, they can very well cut off your claim and they can ask for a repayment, right, of whatever they paid you while you were not here. So you got to be very careful. Now, John, I, I remember we spoke a while back, a while back, uh, and I've had cases where people call me and say, listen, I got to go to the States or to, you know, my home country, you know, in, in Israel, for example, the Dead Sea, right? Uh, it's known to have minerals. It's known to be very therapeutic. So people oftentimes go to other countries for therapies. Again, my advice is this. Speak with your doctors when it comes to that kind of stuff. Get them to uh, put down on paper that they recommend that you do that and then have a discussion with your adjuster. Make sure everything is on the up and up. You don't want to do something that the insurance company is not aware of. You don't want to give them an excuse to cut you off. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't help you if they cut you off benefits. That doesn't mean that, okay? And this is what we do. We help people who've been cut off or denied unjustly their long-term disability benefits. But you want to try and avoid that, okay? And so in this case here, 
Norm is asking, if they find out that this that his brother is living half of the year in France, what can they do? Well, they can cut off your brother, right? If there is that geographical restriction in the policy, they can cut him off and say the policy does, is not, no longer applicable to you, and they can ask for money back to the extent that he received benefits while he was not here. So you have to be careful with that, okay? That's really what I want to say. A lot of people ask me, you know, can I move? And I ask them, move where? If it's within the province, sure, sure yeah, you can do that. There should be in, in, in no issues. Uh, elsewhere in Canada, again, typically there are no issues, but you want to talk with your adjuster about that. Outside the country, you got to be very careful. You've got to be very, very careful with that. What if it's a case where, as you say, it's for, for, for some sort of therapy or for some help and you've got your medical team behind you saying, yeah, he needs to go to... Finland for six months. Well, I think that you have a very good argument then that you need to go there, right? I mean, if there are treatments in another country or another province, somewhere else, that you can't get here, I, I don't see how the insurance company can rely on that geographical restriction because you're not going to be a resident there. You're not moving there for the purposes of just living there. You're going for treatments. If anything, I think that there is a better argument here that you really are trying to get better because you're trying to access treatments that you don't even have in your country or in your province. So, you know, again, I again, every case is different. We have to look at the facts of each and every case. But I think, you know, from a purely kind of black and white perspective, you just simply have to be careful if you are moving for a prolonged period of time to another jurisdiction that you're not in breach of the terms of your policy. Because again, remember, the insurance company, they're looking for any excuse whatsoever to cut you off. Again, doesn't mean we can't do anything about it. It just means that you want to be careful of that. And the, the starting point is to get a copy of your policy, to which you're entitled to, by the way, from your adjuster. And then you can just scan really quickly to see if there is a, a geographical restriction provision in there. We'll take a, a short break. Got lots more on the way. We'll take a, a bit of a longer segment at the end. So we got more to cover. one 821 5900 That would be the number. one 821 5900 Toll free, of course. And help at disabilityrights.ca. It's the Disability Law Show. This is Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. All right, welcome back to it, and we'll keep going here. A little bit uh, of the show left to go. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred disabilityrights.ca is the website. Anytime, and put help at in front of that, you'll get the email address, which we refer to every show, of course. And you can send them along anytime. And then there's also the option for some free questions and answers about LTD. Anything under that uh, rather large umbrella you may be mystified by, that would be mydisabilityquestions.com. Okay, let's go, Savannah. Where are we going? All right, another question from MyDisabilityQuestions.com. This one comes from Dale in Edmonton. Dale writes, I've been on long-term disability for 19 months in Canada, uh, and sorry, and <laughs> I was going to say the name of the insurance company, but I'm going to leave that out. My insurance company, my LTD insurer, wants me to go to a place called Lifemark um, for an assessment. Is this normal, or are they trying to um, rope me into something I shouldn't do? Okay. So we've spoken about this idea before, John, right? Where an insurance company at some point during the claims process when they're paying you LTD wants you to be seen by one of their assessors. They'll tell you, you got to see this person or that person. Uh, you got to undergo this assessment or another, a transferable skills assessment or a psychological assessment, psychiatric, orthopedic, whatever it is. 
Here's the reason why the insurance company is doing that. They want to figure out if they can get an opinion from one of these assessors that tells them, number one, that perhaps you're not as disabled as your doctors are saying that you are. Number two, that perhaps you're ready to go back to work. Number three, that maybe you can do some other type of work, which is what I suspect is happening with Norm because he's been on LTD for 19 months and he's getting close to that two-year mark that we've spoken about before. So an insurance company, when they send you to an assessment or want you to see an assessment, that is normal, okay? It's normal. When I say it's normal, I'm not saying that I'm happy about it. I'm just saying that this is something that happens in a lot of cases. And under uh, every LTD policy, again, that I have seen, they have a right to do so. They can't send you for treatments at a particular assessment they can uh, center. They can't say, you've got to go to LifeMark for treatments. They can't force you to go there. Right? If you need physio or psychotherapy or whatever, you can choose where to get treatments, but they can send you to an assessment. Assessment is not treatment. Now, what happens in these assessments? Well, these assessments, again, are conducted by someone who is paid for by the insurance company to assess you to figure out whatever the questions are that the insurance company is asking. Are you ready to go back to work? Are you disabled? Can you do something else with your life other than the job that you were, you know, that you had before you became disabled? And so the insurance company is then going to wait to get a report back. Not every time, by the way, they get an opinion from their assessors that's favorable to them. Sometimes these reports are actually good for the individual. Be that as it may, if you're told to go to one of these assessments, you have to go. If you don't go, you could be found to be in breach of your LTD policy, and that could be a reason for the insurance company to cut you off. So what do you do then? You're told to go to an assessment, you're freaking out. Number one, don't freak out. It's normal. Number two, prepare yourself. Email the adjuster, tell the adjuster, you're going to go to this assessment, assuming they don't spring this up on you and tell you it's tomorrow. Okay, it has to be reasonable. They're going to give you reasonable notice. They also, by the way, John, can't tell you to travel across the country for one of these assessments. Again, they have to be reasonable in terms of where they're sending you um, or, or make accommodations for you to get there. Now, uh, you should email the adjuster and saying, please give me or uh, agree to give me a copy of whatever report is generated from this assessment. This is key. This is important because when you get that report, if that report is not favorable to you, if it contradicts what your doctors are saying, you want to, first of all, you want to go through that report and I can almost guarantee you that you're going to find a ton of mistakes that were made by the assessor in terms of recounting your medical history, maybe uh, not recounting correctly what happened during the assessment, etc. Right. So you got to note those up and I would say email the adjuster all the inaccuracies in the report so it's on record. Number two, give that report from the insurance assessor to your doctors. Have your doctors who don't agree probably with the uh, opinion of the assessor, have them do a rebuttal. Have them provide their own counter opinion and give that to your adjuster. You know, that's how you protect yourself. You've got to make sure that you provide contrary documentation to what the insurance assessor is doing. Remember, the insurance company understands very well that if it comes down to a judge looking at these forms, and on the one hand, they see reports from your doctor. Your doctor has been assessing you, treating you, dealing with you for years. And here they have an assessor paid for and hired by the insurance company as a hired gun who's seen you maybe for two hours, one time, producing a counter uh, report. You know, just think about that. To me, the more credible individual, the more credible opinion would ultimately be your treating doctor. But you've got to make sure that you get your doctors on your side, again, assuming that they are on your side. 
right? So again, this is normal to go to these assessments. You have to go to these assessments if you're asked to go to them, but, but you have to be prepared. You have to tell the truth during the assessments. You want to make sure you get a copy of the report and you want to make sure that you get your doctors on your side. And if you have any questions about the assessment, about what's happening to you, you're nervous, you're afraid, feel free to reach out to us. Okay, we don't bite. John, I talk with people literally every single day from across the country. I answer their questions by email. I answer their voicemails. The, the whole point is to give people information because once you have that information, you empower yourself. You understand that the insurance company doesn't have all that power that you think that they do over your life. Stand up for your rights. This is different than the insurance company saying, we need you to go to X, Y, and Z to get treatment. Go to our guy to get treatment. They, they can't order you to do that, can they? No, they, they can't. And that's what I was talking about here. And again, very, very important to understand, you know, again, if the insurance company says to you, you got to go get physiotherapy from this particular clinic, right. if they insist that you go to that clinic, I mean, I would be skeptical or, or I would be suspicious. Why do they want me to go to that particular clinic? What is in it for them, right? That they want me to go to that clinic for treatments. I, I would be very careful. I'm not saying the treatment providers there are bad or the clinic is bad. It's just that I would be suspicious as to why the insurance company is forcing me or trying to pressure me to go to that particular clinic or doctor. Ultimately, you have the choice of where to go as long as you're getting treatments. Now, you cannot do it. You cannot have a situation where the insurance company is saying, we think you need treatments. We're going to pay for those treatments. We're going to tell you where you can go. And you say, no, I don't want to do that. Oh, and by the way, I don't want to get any treatments whatsoever. Because if you say that, well, then guess what? You're going to be in non-compliance of the policy, right? You're going to be in breach of the policy because you have an obligation to get reasonable treatments. That's a term of every LTD policy. So it's okay not to go to whoever they send you to. It's not okay not to get treatments altogether. Listen, it's your option. It's your choice if you don't want to get any treatments, but you could be potentially held in breach of the policy terms if you get no treatments whatsoever. So even if they're paying, they're covering the full night, you still, you can still make the call as to where you go. Yeah, absolutely you can, 100%. And if the insurance company says, no, you must go to this clinic or to this doctor or to this person for treatments, again, revert back to what I said at the beginning. Tell them to show you where in the policy it stipulates explicitly that you got to go to that clinic for treatments. That you got to go to that, to that treatment provider for, you know, for treatments. It, it won't say that. It'll simply say that you have to get reasonable treatments. That's what these provisions say. So as long as you are following your doctor's recommendations, your doctor's treatment advice, um, you're good. You're fine. You know, I would say keep with whoever it is that's helping you that you feel comfortable with. That's that's really the bottom line here. Lots to cover on this show every week, and uh, you know, if you have anything you want to say or we didn't cover something for you, it's uh, it's really simple to do. So you can simply go to the website first of all, disabilityrights.ca. There's links to our long-running television show there as well. Help at disabilityrights.ca is always the email address. And as we've used so many times on every show, it's a really good resource. People like it because it's free and it's anonymous, and you can ask your questions anytime, mydisabilityquestions.com. Best part, as we keep saying, it's got a searchable database, which means it's got a, uh, a backlog of questions that have been asked and answered, and you can search for yours, one similar to it. The answer may be uh, fully, uh, completely enough for you. If not, leave it there. Savannah and a member's team will get to it, mydisabilityquestions.com. Done. 
for another week. We'll catch you on our next show, the Disability Law Show here on Global News Radio. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.